Master Cave in on Powered Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. We have Jen Lilly with us. If you're not familiar with Jen Lilly, we can go over the entire discography, but um, I have a feeling we might be... uh, we might be here for a while. It might take the whole podcast because I was looking her up on Wikipedia and my goodness, uh, Jen, you have quite a few things in your, uh, in your list of projects you've been a part of. <laughs> yeah. Most notably a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff in the acting world. I mean, I hate to have to admit this, but I have seen days of our lives a time or two. <laughs> you know, you're not the only one. I would say that like 45% of the audience is male. So you're in good company. <laughs> well, it used to be I worked a shift where before I left for work, that was on TV and my <laughs> wife would watch it. So we got to where we would sit and watch the show and then I had to hurry off to work right afterwards. <laughs> yeah, she would. <laughs> so, so funny. <laughs> hopefully John and Marlene will st- are still doing well. I don't know. I haven't seen it since 2000. It's been a good while. Yeah. yeah now we have our own soap opera in our lives it's called kids yeah yeah no kidding (laughs) and (laughs) i I saw on uh, on facebook the other day i saw a post where it was dr john degarmo who we've interviewed before was talking about working in washington dc with this gal named jen lily and i'm like well what's this i clicked on it started looking around went holy cow this this looks like a story so i listened to your podcast some and i went oh my goodness like this is this is exactly our world so first off, um, it's amazing to find somebody who not only lives in like that world of, of Hollywood stuff, but also has a heart for kids and speaks about it. Very outspoken. So what is the name of your podcast? Um, thanks so much, Jason and Amanda. It's called Fostering Hope. So I'm a foster and adoptive parent myself, um, as well as a child advocate. And that's how I know Dr. John DeGarmo, who's incredible. And anyone listening to your podcast that hasn't heard his episode, I can already tell them that they need to go back and re-listen. Um, so yeah, mine's called Fostering Hope. And it's to equip and inform and inspire people to become foster parents or get involved in some way. You know, not everybody can be a foster parent. Everybody can do something. And then it's also to encourage those who are already in the trenches of foster care to just keep going. Amen, because it does require some level of encouragement there for sure. I mean, that's one of the things that that we did not realize what we were getting into when we first started. I don't think anybody really does. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. stepping into a journey. You don't know where it's exactly headed. Right, totally. But yeah, there's a lot of those pieces where where you meet a spot in the road and you go, wow, I don't know what to do. And it's amazing to have people who can can speak to that in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely don't think that you can do foster care um, without some sort of foster care community, um, especially with like, like-minded foster parents. Um, you know, anybody that knows anything about foster care knows that there's a lot of myths and misconceptions. Uh, but one of the common, um, I guess, stereotypes of foster care, as you all know, is that foster parents do it for the money, you know, and some of them do. And those are the parents that we want to get out of the game. You know, they shouldn't be foster parents. But I find that so many foster parents are in it for the right reasons because they just deeply love the kids. They, they care about, um, you know, society as a whole, as you all know, you know, a child that ages out of foster care is, is most likely going to become a statistic. And I don't want to, 
desensitize or um, numb somebody down to becoming a statistic. But obviously, if we can't reunify these kids with their family and holistically heal that family, um, the birth family, you know, the next option is adoption. And when that doesn't happen, then the statistics are bleak. So um, it's just awesome to meet other like-minded foster parents who not only love that child, but also really love the birth family as well. Hopefully you guys aren't hearing all the noise in our background. I have, I have a five and a six year old who are attempting to tear the house down at the moment. So hopefully our background noise isn't too distracting. I can't hear a thing, but I also have a four year old, a two year old, and um, my daughter just turned one. So, you know, it's loud all the time in my house. So I, I couldn't, I didn't hear anything, but I'm also desensitized to it. Yeah. We only have half of them home today. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, totally feel you. Well, I have to ask, how how did you find yourself pulled into the foster care, uh, into the foster care system? Is that something you've wanted to do for your whole life? I know I've met some people who said they wanted to do it as kids. They felt pulled towards yeah. it. Some of us more as adults. So so what was your your entry into it? Um, you know, a little bit of both. Uh, for one, my parents were kind of informal foster parents growing up. Uh, they were never officially licensed foster parents because my dad was a judge. My mom was a a director of a women and children's charity. And as you know, you should remain unbiased in a foster care case. And obviously <laughs> those two job descriptions can, can you know, maybe raise a lot of suspicion. So they were never official foster parents. So, um, but we did have people living in and out of our home uh, growing up, which gave me a lot of empathy. You know, I'm sure you guys hear as foster parents all the time, um, should I foster if I have my own biological children? You know, how will that impact impact them? And those are prudent and real concerns. And I think they need to be explored and validated for sure. But I can only speak to my own childhood. For me, it opened up a huge door of empathy um, for helping other people. And then, um, so, so the, that was where the seed was planted. And then as I grew up, um, you know, for one, I'm a Christian and that really informs all of my decisions and my entire perspective on life. And, um, you know, the Bible's really clear about we need to take care of children in distress and widows and orphans. And so I, I really feel that it's a mandate. If you're a Christian, then you need to take care for these children. And children in foster care are not only helpless, but I think there are modern day orphans. Not to say that orphans don't exist, but a lot of them do exist in foster care. So, um, I became a child advocate in 2011 after learning a lot of the horrifying statistics in our country. And uh, as one of my advocacy avenues, I was a special friend um, through Child Help, which if people aren't familiar with Child Help, they have to check out this charity. They're incredible. They've uh, 92 cents of every dollar goes toward the program cost, which is pretty unprecedented. the founders, they're the original um, anti-child abuse and prevention charity here in the United States. They've rescued over 11 million children and they've been nominated for nine Nobel Peace Prizes. So they're pretty incredible. Um, and their program is is just amazing. They really take the kids that their next stop is juvenile delinquency um, because they've gone home to home and they rehabilitate them fully. I mean, it's a rehabilitation center for children, um, but it's in a home type setting. So they have a program called um, Special Friends, which is like Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And I fell in love with one of my mentees and she was facing reunification, which in her case, and I believe every child who who's, if you've made it all the way up to child help, um, I don't think you should be reunified with your parent. I don't think that parent's ever going to get better. 
And uh, these are the cases, these are the Gabriel Fernandez cases are the ones they handle, you know, that are just, you're at death's door. So um, she was facing reunification and I was like, not on my watch. And so I got my foster care license. My husband was on board and we did not foster or adopt her. we weren't allowed to because of a lot of stupid reasons. Um, I'm still in touch with her. She had a happy ending. She did not go back to mom. She went to another relative, which was a great choice. And um, we got my son, Caden, who was four months at the time, and now he's four. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. It sounds like a really neat program because you are correct. Too often, our children become statistics. Absolutely, and there's really no need for that. You know, we just need to recruit better foster parents and then also train and equip them on how to advocate for their kids and also make our representatives and caseworkers listen. Absolutely. You know, if, if we could keep foster parents, that would be a big, big help, you know, because I hear Absolutely. It so often the burnout, mm-hmm. the tiredness, the not having any support. Yeah. 50% of, of actually, this is actually how I met Dr. DeGarmo. Um, we were talking about foster parent retention and the turnover rate is 50% uh, quit after the first year. And those are the good ones. You know, the good ones are the ones who quit, whose emotions are rightly involved, who, who are really loving the children. The ones who don't burn out are the ones that are quote unquote doing it for the money. And so that's the problem. So we've got to retain better foster parents for sure. And that's definitely the, the um, catalyst for my podcast. You know, two things. Number one, people who are doing it for the money. I, every time I hear that, I kind of laugh a little bit. Uh, I, I know, know, right? Well, and, and I don't know how other states do it exactly. The state of Missouri, it's obviously not one of their priorities and they do their budgeting. Um, I believe the reimbursement rate is somewhere just north of $200 a month. And if you can feed, clothe, and take care of a child for that much. Good luck. God, you've got to have like 10 kids to break, you know, to pay your mortgage and buy food. That's it. I mean, exactly. So here, Jason, let me, let me um, clear up that fog for you because I had the same, I would say the same thing. I was like, Get a J-O-B part-time at McDonald's. I promise you, you're going to be making, you're going to be laughing your way to the bank. You're going to be making so much more than as a foster parent. What are people talking about for the money? Um, And I went to the National Foster Parents Association um, conference, I I believe, last year. I think this year they weren't able to have it because of COVID, you know, as is everybody. And, And last year they had it in Orange County. So I went down for the day and they were, they had a program on the adoption assistance program. First of all, I didn't even know that your subsidization continued when you adopted. I thought, oh, that must be why people don't adopt, you know, like they can't, they need that $200 a month or whatever (laughs) minimal fee it is in order to keep going. So I went to that class to just kind of learn about that. And oh my gosh, I met a foster parent. I'm assuming, oh, everyone in this room in this little seminar is going to be like a rock star. They're all adopting their kids. Clearly they're at this conference for an amazing organization. You know, all of our hearts are in the right place. This is awesome. I'm going to meet like so many cool people today. Um, no, oh, I met a woman after the, the whatever seminar and she was like, yeah, so what you want to really do is get a D-rate kid. And I was like, what is a D-rate kid? And she's like, okay, so um, whether or not, this is literally what this foster parent said to me. I was like, I, I, we need to stop talking. She, she said, um, you know, whether or not they have uh, ADHD, whatever, you know, that's a really popular one. Get them a diagnosis. If you can get your kid on psychotropic medicines, then your payment goes up to like a thousand dollars a month. And she was like, but then if you can get them into wraparound services, it goes up to like 2,500 a month. And if you can get them held back in school and get them special education, it goes up to like 3000 a month. 
she was like, so I have like eight kids at, at $3,000 a month. She was like, I'm making so much money. I got to quit my job. And I was literally like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like, why are you here? You're a horrible person. I guess there is money in foster care. And those are the kind of people we need to get out. And that's not to say that, you know, some of these children do come from obviously excruciating trauma. And, and, and you know what? They, some some mental um, instability, post-traumatic stress disorder. These are very real things that these children are struggling with. So that's not to say that some children don't need some sort of uh, mental medication or support. Obviously, there's a place for that. But as you know, in any government system, you know, it can be set up with the best intentions, but it gets abused. And that, and those are the people we're talking about. I mean, that's just, it just blew my mind. It's like, why are we rewarding your child being held back in school? You know, why are you making your children a statistic? You horrible woman, please shut your mouth. I'm about to like slap you, <laughs> you know? Hey. Yeah, that story just, yeah, it just made my heart drop. I mean, our kids yeah. already come from a place of trauma yep. and anything else that led them to the system. Why would you try to purposely hold them back? Exactly. 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 I mean, we're, we're here to heal them and, and make them not a statistic. So, so Jason, if that clears it up for you, apparently there is money in foster care. Um, and I... I don't know. I go back and forth on wanting to like talk to Congress about stuff like that. You know, like that's a pretty negative reward system. That's, but there's a place for it. It's just, it's paved with good intention and it's being abused. That's the kind of thing that just makes you insane. If you think about it for too long, <laughs> Totally. on the other side of that, you know, I've done some work with a friend of mine. Um, his name is John Williams. He, he runs a nonprofit called life that counts where he works with a lot of teenage kids and middle school and high school age kids. And mm-hmm. one of the programs that he's looking at, um, we've actually just submitted uh, some for some funding for a program that's that's designed to help specifically kids who are in high school who look like they're going to age out of the foster care system without being right. able to to get that that full home that that one family to call their own before they age out. And it's, the program is designed around the idea of doing a face to face mentoring type program, kind of on a platform, kind of yeah. like we're doing here with Zoom, where you can do face to face virtual connections with people and and we do this i actually met john in a dad's group that we we do exactly this and on, on a regular basis every week and it's a program designed specifically for those kids who've been through those hard places who are in a hard you know in, in a group home right. or in some sort of setting like that so that they can learn this life skills that they need to be able to go out into the world and become become valuable members of society to change those numbers because what well, i was looking up statistics just yesterday i believe it was something like 50% of the kids who age out of the foster care system will experience homelessness. Yep. Um, it, it's 46% will, will end up homeless at least once by the age of 26. 97% will not go to uh, college. And only 25% will graduate high school, let alone get a, get a G, GED. Uh, and 50% will have a substance abuse problem. So, um, and then if they've had, if they've, if they've experienced five or more homes in foster care, five or more placements, um, they have a 90% chance of uh, ending up in prison. And so, you know, and seven out of 10 girls, I know all of these statistics because I just did a huge study for it uh, that I presented on Capitol Hill. So I'm, I'm really acquainted, they're fresh in my mind. Um, and then seven out of 10 girls, who age out of foster care uh, will have a child by the age of 21 who will also 
end up in foster care. So, I mean, I have a huge heart right now for transitional age youth. Um, my husband and I actually just hosted a transitional age youth for six months and it was amazing. You know, we and, and it was like scary because I'm only 35 and she was 21. And it's like, that's kind of weird. You know, like, I, I don't know how to play like a mom role to you. Like, I don't know whether you want me to be like a mentor or a friend or like a mom to you, but I wasn't going to let age stop me from helping her, you know? And I think that we, we come up with so many excuses in our head and that's not to say to, to not use prudence, you know? I mean, I knew specifically because I asked the right questions that you know, it was going to be safe to have her in my household with my three young children. But at the same time, um, you know, we, we shouldn't let things scare us. Living a life based on fear is not much of a life for sure. That's right. And that's one of the things that, that we've had to, had to come to terms with. There's some things that, that we've learned aren't very healthy for our family. Um, mm-hmm. Teenagers are not my forte. Right. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I know people who do teenagers very well. My dad was one of those guys. He could make yeah. teen boys like nobody's business. And you mm-hmm. know, that's just not, now you give me a room with 33 year olds in it and we're going to be assaulting an ice cream stand real soon. I have like a whole little army of, of miniature munchkins ready to, to go do something wild and crazy and have fun. I'm totally okay with that. But that's what, right. what Amanda and I are wired for. Right, exactly. And I really, I want to see a lot of empty nesters um, help the transitional age youth because I think that they would be so equipped to handle it in in a really wonderful way. I I think you're right because one of the things we've learned is, you know, we have our older kids. We lost our oldest daughter five years ago, but we have two other other kids about the same age within a couple of years of, of, of each other there. And then we have our two middle kids who are currently... 13 and 14 yeah mm-hmm. and then we have our younger two who are five and six right now and it seems like every time each one of these iterations we go through these especially the younger kids in our family mm-hmm. are going to have such better parents because we've done it so many times and right. better than empty nesters to look to for people who've been through that experience with the kids who've been through the, whatever struggles their kids have because we all go through something especially in those teen years but to be able to understand it and, and hand that wisdom and knowledge and life experience to kids who need it that that's a real valuable resource that I don't think is is being used. Definitely. You have you said three kids, right? Yeah, three kids. I have a, a four year old who, you know, all of my kids. Obviously, I love them the same. Um, but just for sake of discrepancy on the podcast, my four year old is adopted from foster care. My two year old is his biological brother, um, who we're still in the process of adopting. And I just heard today that we finally got acknowledgement from the state. So hopefully that process is quickly. It was like unbelievable trying to get that acknowledgement. Um, and then my one-year-old is our biological daughter. So two boys and a girl. So I think any anybody with a brain in their head is going to look at that and go, how do you have a baby while you're going through all that? You know, you've got a kid who's, you know, even at, at a young age like that, who, but who's adopted out of the foster care system, it's going to have some levels of traumas in their life. And you're going to sure. have some things to deal with around that. That's just normal. Every child does. But to have a baby as young, as little as one that you're still taking care of, how do you manage all that? Especially because I have a good authority that you probably have kind of a busy life as well. Oh, my schedule's insane. Um, but 
You know, I, I look to people like Dr. Vergarmo, who have 11 children, and he's a doctor, and he's a full-time advocate, and he's written 10 books, and his wife just works full-time, and they have 11 children. And so I'm like, okay. And he said to me, because we're both insanely busy, and he said to me, he was like, if you want to get something done, just give it to a busy person. You know, I mean, like some, sometimes you just, you, you do like the college thing where you're like, okay, I've got to pull almost an all nighter because I have deadlines. You just figure it out, you know? And like I said, before we started recording, um, unfortunately with all these masks, I haven't been concerned about how yellow my teeth are getting, but I've been drinking much more coffee during COVID. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, you just figure it out. You just really figure it out. And I... I, I draw a lot of boundaries. Sometimes I have to tell people, you know, like I really can't fit anything else on my plate. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, you just, you kind of just figure it out. Like you do in life, you just make it work. I can't say no to kids. I just can't, I can't, I I can't, like I'll sleep when I'm dead (sighs) or whatever. I won't need sleep. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like on the other side, really. Personally, I don't worry too much about about the whole um the the teeth whitening thing because well I, I have an industry <laughs> that I work in that doesn't worry about that too much. But I'll give you my secret: iced coffee with a straw, you're good to go. I just don't love iced coffee. That's my <laughs> <laughs> I want it piping hot. Uh, that's what my husband says. So his name's Jason too. You know, you guys get along on a lot of a lot of reasons. <laughs> So, so what was his, his involvement in the foster system? I, I know that that's one of the things mm-hmm. that I've been looking at a lot is I see so little engagement from foster fathers. And I don't think it's that they're not engaged in the lives. It's just that you don't hear about it. They don't talk about it much. Is it? Yeah. How, how is your husband connected with foster care? He's awesome because he just is such a cheerleader and champion of mine. I mean, he's just along for the ride. Um, I'm very A-type extroverted don't tell me it can't be done I'll I'll run this all the way up to the White House if I have to get it done type person um, I mean it's just literally like you cross me when it comes to child welfare and a child's safety and I will step over you and prove you wrong um, so I'm very sassy and <laughs> determined and my husband is just the most even keeled even emotion Like we never fight, but the only thing that we ever have really fought about is that I get really pumped up about things and he doesn't. And I'll be like, do you have an opinion on this? Like, do you feel anything about this? And that's why we're the perfect couple because he's just like even keeled. And so he um, was really into the idea of fostering after he got past myths and concerns. I mean, Jason, like 51% of Americans wrongfully thought that uh, children in foster care were juvenile delinquents. We know that's not true. We know that they found themselves in a very broken system through no fault of their own, but because of severe child abuse and neglect. So once he really learned the truth to it, um, obviously he's also a Christian and he was like, give us the right thing to do. And he also fell in love with the little girl that we mentor and it was him that was like, we have to make sure she doesn't go back, like that she's going to die. And I was like, yeah, she's going to die. And he's like, we're taking that class. Like, I don't care what your filming schedule is. We have to get licensed. We have to save her. And I was like, yeah. So the only thing he really is passionate about is me, his family and Jesus. So he is an awesome dad and he's just along for the ride. I mean, he's extremely involved as a dad. He's extremely hands-on. But you're not going to see him really on social media and you're not going to see him 
be a voice because he is like the quietest man you've ever met in your life. Well, I can kind of, kind of, uh, compare myself to in a few of those places i'll talk you know i'll talk your ear off but i don't get on if you look at my personal facebook page if you find it you'll find it it kind of echoes in there we yeah. we, we do it with what we do here because we believe this is a worthy cause for people to get involved in but my, right. my facebook page now there's there's nothing on there about covid there's nothing on there about the presidential you know, policy. Right. I just i'm not down for that kind of a of a of a discussion uh, yeah well, a it, platform yeah. yeah the discussion would be fine except i know better than that on social except media. nobody doesn't yeah except nobody discusses they're like well i'm not going to hear anything you have to say yeah exactly you don't want to start a war and i don't want to start a war unless it comes to kids i like to poke people's buttons <laughs> <laughs> well, that's reason, have, have a reason to do it that's, that's a valid reason <laughs> thanks so how long have you guys been fostering or involved in the system um, we've been, we got our foster care license in 2016 and then got our son, Caden. Um, but I've been a child advocate since 2011. That's when I really learned about just ugh, like just so many atrocities going on in the United States that people are starting to wake up to now. But um, yeah, we've been advocates since 2011. We interview a lot of former foster youth and um, I'm actually that's awesome. working on one particular episode that's it's required a decent amount of editing because I wanted to sound just right because this mm-hmm. this young lady has a story. Um, her name is Heather. If you can imagine a horrible a horrible thing to happen to a kid in foster care, mm-hmm. she owns every part of that story. She's been through so much and she talks about her walk through that and and her journey out and, and, and I forget how old she is, but she's into her, her early adulthood years and she's trying to find her way through it and. It's just amazing to see people who go through that much trauma and difficulty. But it's also just mind-blowing that people have to go through that inside the foster care system. Because whether we're talking about biological family members or even Mm -hmm. foster homes she was in, some some of the trauma she experienced, it's a horrible thing. And so we're able to talk about this so that people can know about it. And I hopefully... You know, stories like yours and others can help inspire people to step into this, to become that foster parent, to make a difference in the world. Right. Yep. And, and you know, um, not to keep bringing him up, but Dr. DeGarmo, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he, he is the founder and director of the Foster Care Institute, and they have a ton of amazing free resources online, so check them out. But he uh, and I were obviously, we've been talking like every day because we've been trying to work on foster care reform and... Um, and he just reminded me like what's something you all know and something your audience may know, but just it's always nice to kind of be reaffirmed when you just feel discouraged is that, um, you know, while that child may not be with you forever, that's not the goal of foster care, but, you know, it may be that you still had such a, a huge impact on that child's life. You know, we hear that over and over again, like a lot of children remember that one foster parent that just really did make them feel loved you know they felt love and stability for the first time in their life and sometimes that one you know encounter really helps them keep going and triumph over just unimaginable uh, atrocities that happen in the system yeah we we've had a couple of those kids come through as a matter of fact you can't really tell from looking at us um but there's tattoos all over i've got Mm -hmm. I have portraits over seven children tattooed on this, on my left arm over here around a family tree. I have another one I'll tattooed over my heart, a young guy who's been 
spent his first year life with us and a couple kids tattooed on the other side of my chest who who spent a year and a half with us um they were siblings and some Mm -hmm. of the lessons that we learned from those kids some of the things you can learn from just just having provided a safe home and the value that they bring into your family absolutely the lessons they teach you i'll never and i tell the story a lot but it's i'll never forget the moment we sat down to dinner and well our 13 year old daughter uh, when she was probably about three, I think we have, we would have adopted her a couple of years after this when it was available, but I think she was three and we sat down to dinner and she said, can I say the blessing? I said, sure, baby. And so she sits down and folds her little three-year-old hands and she says, dear God, thank you that my new mommy and daddy haven't died. Oh my God. And yeah, talk about suck the air out of the room because she was talking about a life experience she'd already been through at that age. Right. I remember that day. It was a tough day at work for whatever reason. I was aggravated, frustrated about something silly, I'm sure. Yeah. Without even trying, she said, quit whining about the small stuff, dude. Pay attention to things that matter. Right. That one moment stuck with me so, so deeply that I've learned so much more from these kids than I'll ever be able to teach them. I've given them so, so few things compared to what they've given me in knowledge and experience. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree these kids have the ability to hand us things that we didn't even know we were missing. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, you hear as a foster parent, I'm sure all the time, like, oh, those children are so lucky to be in your house. And I'm always just like, no, we are so lucky that that they get to be part of our family. We're so lucky. It's not the kids that are so lucky. We are so lucky that we got blessed with this child. These kids weren't lucky to need to be in our home. Yeah. It's it's worthwhile to, to remember that because these kids are going through something. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's you know, proves to, to the point. I mean, if we can rehabilitate these children, they can beat a lot of odds. I mean, they are resilient and they are creative because they already think outside the box and they're survivors. So they can really have such a positive impact on our society if we just give them the strength to keep going and the hope to keep going. So, so what do you think is one of the lessons that you had or most surprised that you learned from one of, one of your kids or, or the, an experience you had in the foster system? I think something that's just, I guess, overwhelmingly confronting in foster care that, you know, maybe one way in your mind, but it's just really different to, to walk it out and exercise is what I call and what a lot of people call uh, playing middle mom. You know, obviously for you, it's playing middle dad. I don't know if you experienced that, but um, Caden and his brother have the same mom and, you know, they weren't reunified for a reason, but I have learned to have such more empathy and love in my heart for her because she's not a terrible person. It's just that she also came from foster care and she wasn't equipped to parent. You know, she was not a willful child abuser. And I would tell her that, honey, if you are a willful child abuser, our conversations and interactions would be a lot different. And I think one day you could be an amazing mom. First, she was young, but I'm just saying the lesson of empathy um, that you're forced to exercise on a constant basis when you are being a monitor and the monitor visits and having to, you know, for me as a Christian, having to walk out your love, not just for the child, but for their entire family and their story really is a little different than like, oh yeah, I love people because Jesus loved me. When you have to walk that out in the face of, you know, someone that you know is putting your child in danger, 
for the child that you love while they're in your care and, you know, and throughout, like whether they're in your care or they leave your care, you, you still love that child. It, it's a different thing to be forced, you know, to have empathy and love and compassion for them <laughs> in the face of, you know, inappropriate behavior than it is to just sit in a church pew and be like, oh yeah, we love people. It's way different. <laughs> you are so right there. You know, and and it hasn't aired yet because I haven't even edited the episode yet. I just recorded one yesterday with a with a guy, Ruben J. If if by the time people, hear, I know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruben, Ruben does a lot of work with um on radio and announcer work. He's done some some work on a couple TV shows as correspondent stuff. Um, just a real neat guy, and he tells a story of, about having been a six month old felon because his mom was actually. Uh, convicted i think she was convicted at least arrested she was the one the driver in the getaway car for an armed robbery oh my goodness yeah and he doesn't have any connection with her but he also has um through her he has something like a dozen siblings or half siblings mm-hmm. and you know to be able to to walk through as a foster parent to walk through that journey where you're not just automatically shaming and hating those people right so you're trying to to have some empathy to help them find a way we deal with that with almost every case we've had. We've had close to 20 kids come through our home. Wow, yeah. Stories are just, it's hard not to, to be, I mean, I grew up in, in a very fundamentalist church. And so judgment mm-hmm. is one of the core values, I think, that they, uh, that they thought. <laughs> I don't My know goodness. I don't know if that's what they were trying to teach. That's what I learned as a kid. Um, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, and it's so easy to fall into that, you know, our little guy. It our, is. Um Turtles, Turtles, one of the ones that we've adopted. He's kind of a family placement. But um, when he came into care, he was tested. You know, we had the we told the judge, Your Honor, we know this. We know this woman. Um, he needs a he needs a hair follicle test because she had a chance. He's had a clean-up kit run through him by now, and his mm-hmm. hair test came back positive for weed, coke, heroin, meth, and oxies. Mm-hmm. And he was one. Right. So how hard is it not to have hate in your heart at that moment? It's really easy to be very judgmental there. For sure. I mean, I can't tell you how many visits I would leave and I would be crying. And I'm like, I don't know whether I'm more sad or mad right now. I just, it's a mixed bag of emotions because you have so much empathy and, and just sadness for that parent because they're obviously going through something real. But you're mad at the same time that this child is just a byproduct of, you know, that they're just suffering because somebody else's poor decision but it's it's a it's a real mixed bag foster care for sure for sure and have you been able to to reach any of the the biological parents through the work that you've done with them to be able to help them find out what what maybe not reunification is exactly but how to get themselves in a place where they're they're capable of being a parent to the child children that they um you know Yes and no. So I'm still really actively um, in touch with the boy's mom. Um, I don't have them interact with her, but I check in on her a lot because she's young and she's a product of the system. And so um, when we got baby Jay, Caden's little brother, that's what we call him. His name starts with a J. Um, She was really scared to see me in our monitored visits at the beginning. And through no other reason than, you know, like, I think I'm the closest to a mother figure, appropriate mother figure she's ever had. And she's not that much. She's 21, 22. She's not that much younger than me. Um, 
I mean, in, in perspective. So, um, but I think that she was just kind of intimidated because she wasn't sure how I would react, even though throughout Caden's visits, like I've never done anything but love her. And so when we were at our first visit, I, I saw her and I could just read her really well. I think that's like a huge advantage of being not only a Christian, but an actor, is I read people for a living. Um, and so I could tell that she was just really intimidated. And so I just walked up to her and I hugged her and she just broke down sobbing. She was like, I was so scared to meet with you. And I was just like, okay, well, like, let's talk about it. Like what happened? And, um, so I check in on her a lot and, you know, I've held her a lot of times and we've just sat there and cried together. And I've told her over and over again, like, you're going to be a great mom. You're going to be a great mom one day. Like there's no, is a lie from the pit of hell that you can't be a mom, but you, honey, you have to get yourself together. You know, you got to get a job. You've got to, you know, leave the life. You've got to understand that it is never appropriate for a man to hit you. You know, all of these things like domestic violence and foster care, they're directly, there's a direct correlation. And until she learns that she has value and that just because she's a product of the system doesn't give somebody else a right to continue to abuse her the rest of her life. You know, she's not going to, she's going to just repeat the cycle of having children that end up in care. Um, and it's not because she doesn't love her kids. She's just, she, she has to get a job. She's a smart girl, you know, and I'm just like, you got to stay on the path. So I check in on her a lot. I've especially checked in on her a lot this year with COVID and all of it. Like, hey, do you have food? Do you feel safe? Like, how are things going? So, I mean, Hopefully I've made an impact in a positive way on her life, but I can't, you know, who knows if I have. We've learned is, you know, we, we picked up in a pre-COVID world. Uh, we've picked up some kids down at the, at the local children's division office a couple times. And sometimes mm-hmm. they're, they're biological parents there when we show up. And one of the things that really, I think, has helped us make those connections is, you know, I mentioned having a couple of kids tattooed on me. I have more than a little bit. Mm-hmm. And my wife has, has some, some tattoos as well. And we showed up. And she'll show up with the car, with the, the big car with all the kids. We have enough. We need a Suburban. And, you know, I'm coming from work or something. I show up riding on the Harley. And, you know, that being willing to show those pieces of who you are, being a real person, not the uber good, super mom, super dad looking people who are coming in to look down your nose, but to be able to walk in and have them look at yeah. you and make that connection to where they go, okay, okay, I can, I can see you as a real human. Mm-hmm. And that's how yeah. you make those connections with some bio parents. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. I think that's what they need to is, you know, their mom and I would talk all the time and she just always felt like, you know, the, the social workers were against her. And it was like, no, they're not. Like, I know these social workers were all rooting for you. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. Like, no one can do your casework except for you. So, you know, do it or don't. But, you know, let's get this going. You know, if you want me to adopt, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't say that to her because then that can be in a court of law that can be presented as, I don't know, coercing the parent into something, you know, but it's just like in my mind, it's like, like either do the casework and fight for your kid or like, let's get him some permanency. I don't know. It's a very, it's frustrating. It's really hard to play middle parent, but I mean, nothing has really what I would say, you know, the Bible talks about fruits of the spirit, which is uh, evidence that you have God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And, you know, being able to demonstrate those all the time in your life, obviously really hard, impossible without God, I think. And, uh, 
nothing has confronted me and fertilized my fruit of the spirit more than foster care. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> I completely can agree with that because it, it will test you in a lot of ways for sure. Oh, constant. But, yeah. you know, talking about the, the bio parents, if you go back to some of our earlier episodes, um, if anybody wants to go back and look, I think it's a three-part series we did with the woman, Amy. I think it was called Hope for Amy was the name of that series. And Amy was, awesome. um, she she was, well, when the police knocked her front door down and put her and her, her husband and kids on the ground at gunpoint, they found somewhere around $10,000 worth of meth in her coat pocket because oh my gosh. She, she was a full-blown dealer. And uh, mm-hmm. her, her supplier had been knocked over by the feds. Her name came up in a conversation. They passed it on the state. And so they came knocking at her door with guns and, and grenades and stuff. And she did the work, though. And to hear that story is, is one of the things that I think is so very inspiring for parents to, to hear that she did the work. And she mentioned she felt the same way about the workers to begin with. Right. Over the of course, of course. I mean, you take your child, you're going to be on guard. Yeah. But over the course of time, she realized that they were really you're willing to be on her side as long as she was willing to work. And she actually had had case managers come to, to her court appearance for the drug charges and, and talk to the judge and speak on her behalf. And today she has been several years clean and sober. She has more than one job. She takes care of her children. You know, they're back in her home. She's made that full turn. And it's because she right. can finally connect with those people who are designed to help her. So I think that's something that, that we as foster parents have to always be aware of. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause we're, we're, we're in a case right now where we're, you know, we're, we're not certain how it's going to turn out, but you're always looking for ways to encourage a bio parent to, Hey, all you got to do is what they tell you to do. Let's, let's step up. Let's move in the right direction. Let's, let's find a way to encourage them to become the parents that we know they can be so that they can change their world, their children's world and generations to come. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the things that I think is is inherent in our story is is that that desire for a legacy to leave to leave the world with a legacy that that is so much different than than what we brought into this world. So, you know, we we're going to change the world whether we want to or not. We're going to leave a, a lasting impact. So let's get about the business of making sure that's a, a positive impact. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I know that you have got a uh, an appointment to talk with some important people soon. <laughs> Can I go talk to Congress? Yep. <laughs> Again. You know, that's not something that you normally say in a typical conversation for us. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. But if there's anybody who seems like they, they have the knowledge and the, the experience and the facts to talk to Congress, I know that um, I've talked with Dr. DeGarmo in the past. I know he has he has that. And I'm certain you do as well after listening to you today. So I only hope that you guys can can find the right ear to hear. Thank you. And be able to, to create a better world for kids who need help. Yeah, we do too. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And it's just always nice to connect to other like-minded foster parents. So you guys are incredible. Keep doing what you do. And um, I look forward to tuning into your podcast. No, thank you so much. And thank you for being such a great advocate for children because they need it. The cycle needs to break. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I will hopefully talk to you guys and reconnect with you soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. That was the sound of knowledge bombs being dropped by Jen Lilly today. 
Wow, we want to throw a huge shout out and a thank you to Jen Lilly for taking time out of her schedule. When we know that she was getting ready to walk out of the interview and walk with Dr. John DeGarmo into Congress and advocate for children in care. What an amazing lady with a message to tell. So thanks a lot for coming on today, Jen. If you'd like to find out any more information about the things she talked about, all of her links will be in the show notes. Like I mentioned before, Apple Podcasts does weird things. Sometimes they get a little wonky in the show notes and the links don't work. So if you can't get those, go ahead and head over to Spotify or one of the other platforms and look at it there. Or you can go to our website at Foster Care Nation. In the top right, you can click on Podcast Notes and just scroll down to you find her episode and all the podcast notes with the links will be there. If you'd like to find us on our social media accounts, you can just search for Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey or Foster Care Nation and you'll find us pretty much everywhere. We're on Instagram and Facebook and I think there's a Twitter account out there with that name on it. Shoot us a message if you have a story to tell at fostercareuj at gmail.com. And if you'd like to join in with supporting us, the most powerful thing you can do is share our message with someone who you think would like to hear it. Send them an episode and tell them to subscribe and do the same thing yourself if your platform allows you to subscribe. We will see you next week with another episode. We drop episodes every Tuesday morning. If you'd like to help us out monetarily, we'd love it. It'd be awesome. Patreon.com slash Nation. And that would be awesome. If not, we'll still see you next week. It's still free content. And as always, 